0: Once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Crossroads. We're so glad you're here with us today. A very special shout out to those that are watching online and a very, very special shout out to all of those at our West Campus, because this weekend, once again, you are celebrating one year. You're one year old this weekend, West Campus. Come on, can we give it up for the West Campus? Also, I think it's just so awesome hearing from the Kings and their story about how they got involved at the West Campus as well. Uh, You know, like they said, my name is Ross. I'm the high school pastor here at our Newburgh campus, and uh, I'm so happy to be here with you today. We're gonna go ahead and jump right in, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter four is where we're gonna go, Colossians chapter four, as we wrap up our series grow. Um, And as you're turning there, uh, I wanna tell you a little bit about me. Uh, My name, again, is Ross. I'm not originally from uh, Evansville, but uh, I'm originally from North Carolina, so I'm a Southern boy. And uh, my wife and I, we met at school, in uh, in Florida, and uh, I have a picture of my wife and I. This is Nikki. Many of you um, will recognize her here at the Newberg campus because she's often hosting here. Uh, you'll notice this is a picture of just us. We do not have any kids yet. Um, that is because I have enough kids that I'm in charge of um, these high school students, and uh, we love them very much. I just love also that after Wednesday nights, I get to give them back to you. Um, But uh, it's an honor to be a high school pastor and I'm honored to be here with you today. Uh, Colossians chapter four, hope you're there. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we do have uh, Bibles there in the seat backs in front of you that you can grab or we'll have a really big Bible right up here on this screen. Colossians chapter four. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae and he's finishing up his letter today uh, as we finish up our series, Grow. It says this, starting in verse two. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. That part's very important. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Listen to what he says in verse five here. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. These outsiders were also known as Gentiles. These were non-Jewish people or unbelievers during that day. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Today, if I had to give this message a title, like Mickey said, the title of my message today is, don't make it difficult. Don't make it difficult. Come on, would you look at, to your neighbor and say, don't make it difficult? Come on, y'all gotta wake up here at the New Bird campus. Come on, say it at the West Campus. Say, don't make it difficult. Come on, if you would, please just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We're gonna pray over our time together this morning. God, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that we get to come here and worship you today. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate your word clearly and effectively, that we would leave this place, that we would leave the West Campus, that we would turn off maybe our computer today as we're watching online, and we would, we would know that we are better than when we first got here today. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said... Amen, amen, and let me ask you a question real quick. Any of you ever had an ant problem in your house before? Anybody ever had an ant problem i 'm not talking about like two or three ants okay i 'm talking about like you had an infestation of ants okay I, I remember my wife and I, in our first year of marriage, we were living in a one-bedroom apartment near Tampa, Florida. And uh, and one day, I think I was making a turkey sandwich or something, and a little piece of the turkey, it fell on the kitchen counter. We went out for the day, and we got back later on that afternoon. And when I walked into the house, I go into the kitchen, and I see a huge line starting from behind the refrigerator going on the wall, down the counter, making its way all the way to that little piece of turkey. I mean, it was like, it was like a traffic jam on the Lloyd right there in my kitchen, right? I get in there and, and, you know, I know this isn't going to come as a surprise to many of you, but, uh, but I would consider myself a man's man. I don't know why that's funny. Um, No, I I'm 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 not right. Like I uh, I wear skinny jeans and I care way too much about my hair. But I don't do creepy crawly things at all. Like I I just don't. And I get there in the kitchen. I see all these ants, right? And I do what any man would do, right? You know, I jumped, I screamed at a pitch that I'm a little ashamed of, and I called for my wife, right? (laughs) Nikki comes into the kitchen. She's laughing at me, making fun of me, questioning my manhood. You know, whatever. She's like, you just need to find something here in the kitchen to kill the ants with. So I'm looking, you know, trying to find something. My wife, now you have to understand something about her. She's into like all organic things, things that aren't harmful to your body, you know, blah, 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 right? I go and I look into the cabinet and all I can find is like this all natural organic like household cleaner, right? It's called something like nature's mist. I don't know, you know. I grab this stuff and I try to, I'm like spraying all the ants like on the counter trying to kill them. And after a while, I'm like, Nikki, this isn't work. Like, I, th- I think they actually enjoy it. They're having like a spa day here in nature's mist, you know, like they're having a pool party right here on our kitchen counter. This is insane. After a while, I started going with my finger, like and individually, like killing each ant in the line. <laughs> we, it's needless to say, we, we had an ant problem, okay? Um, it was it was a little bit later on, we started finding ants in our bed, okay? We started finding ants in our closet. They were eating holes in our clothes, okay? We had a huge ant problem. So at this point, I, I, have, I have this angst against ants, right? I have this problem with them. A few days later, I'm playing golf with a friend and, and I hit, the, uh, you know, I'm over in the woods because when I play golf, that's where I hit the ball is... <laughs> Over in the woods, and I'm there, I'm waiting for my friend to hit his shot, you know, and I have my pitching wedge, I'm leaning up against it, and, and I, I glance down, and I see a really big anthill, and then I look at my pitching wedge, and then I look at the anthill, look back at my pitching wedge, and I have this thought, redemption. <laughs> I take my pitching wedge and I go, wham, try to hit the sand as high as I possibly could. And then I stirred it around for good measure, you know? Like, take that, it's for your cousins, you know? And um, I watched, it was kind of crazy because at first there were just a few ants crawling on the anthill, but as I began to stir it up, it's almost as if like hundreds, I wanna even say like thousands of ants came up out of the ground on this anthill, all because I stirred it up, it was crazy. And from what I'm told, the reason why ants do this, maybe you've seen this happen before, the reason why they immediately come up out of the ground and start swarming everywhere is because they immediately go into rebuilding mode. They immediately begin to work together. And when they rebuild, they rebuild bigger and better than ever. I say all that to say this. I wonder if sometimes God likes to just stir us up. Meaning, Maybe there's some things that are underneath in our own life that He just wants to bring to the surface. I have a question for you today: are there maybe some things that we need to start facing? Are there some things that maybe we need to work together on and start working towards so that there are some things in our life that were hidden before? Gifts, talents, abilities, calling, and growth that we didn't know was there before. But as God begins to stir us up, it begins to come to. The surface. I believe Paul, as he's finishing up his letter to the church in Colossi, in chapter four of Colossians, I believe he's stirring these people up. The people that he's writing to, in I hope and pray, maybe he's even stirring us up today. You'll notice he uses he uses this language. He, he starts to say a couple things. He says, Be wise in the way that you act toward. Outsiders Again, these are are non-Jews. These are even unbelievers. He's saying, watch the way that you act towards them and then make sure that your conversations, also known as your tweets, texts, comments, and posts, are good for everyone. Make sure that they're full of grace is what he says. Full of grace. What's he saying? He's trying to stir them up, not just for the sake of themselves, but he's stirring them up for the sake of other people as well. See, Paul realized something that maybe you and I need to be reminded of today, that the greatest fulfillment in life is not doing church things so that we can better ourselves, but actually going out into the world and being the church so that we can better the world around us. The greatest fulfillment of life is not just getting to heaven, but taking as many people as I possibly can with me on my way there. The greatest fulfillment in life is not knowing I earned my own salvation, but realizing that Jesus did it for me. There's nothing I can earn, there's nothing I can do because it was all Jesus. I read this and I go, why why, why is Paul trying to stir them up like this, you know? He actually says, he says, pray for me because I'm in chains. See, Paul was the kind of guy, he, he liked to stir things up a lot and from time to time, he would find himself in prison. What's the reason why Paul's in prison this time is because you'd have to go back to Acts 22 where he's actually preaching to some Jewish leaders. He's telling them his testimony about how Jesus changed his life. And then he ends by saying, and then Jesus, after he changed my life, told me to go speak to these outsiders and they have a problem with this. And so they throw him in jail. This is actually a conversation that started all the way back in Acts chapter 15. It's not a new argument. In Acts chapter 15, which we'll read here in just a second, I wanna give you a little bit of context, though. In Acts chapter 15, what's happening is the church is having a disagreement. The church is having a disagreement. To give you a little background, um, Judaism was there before Christianity. Christianity actually came out of Judaism. Jesus himself was a Jew, but there's one really big difference between Judaism and Christianity. Jews believed in old traditions, customs, rules called the law, that you had to keep these things in order to work your way up to God. But then Jesus comes on the scene and says, I didn't come to abolish the law, yet I came to fulfill the law. No longer do you have to work your way up to God because I am the way, the truth, and the life. All you have to do is come through me now. I've made it simple, not difficult. And then before Jesus leaves the earth, he tells all his disciples and all of his followers, go tell everybody about me. And his disciples and these apostles like Paul and Barnabas, they begin to take Jesus serious. So they go and not only are trying to convert Jews now, but they're going and preaching the message to these outsiders, as Paul calls them in Colossians, these Gentiles. They go and speak to them as well. Only problem is there are Jews that are being converted, right? And they believe in Jesus. They believe that he is the savior, but yet they're also hanging on to their old way of doing things. They're hanging on to their old customs and traditions and, and laws. Not only that, then they're trying to project them onto the new converts. One of the main things that they tried to hang on to was this idea of circumcision. And circumcision was something that happened to a Jewish boy when he was eight years old. Eight years old, it was just a sign that you belong to God. It was a covenant that God made with his people a long time ago. You can imagine an eight-year-old baby doesn't have much of a say in the matter, right? You can ask an eight-year-old boy, hey, do you want to be circumcised? And he's going to go, why? Because that's all that babies do, they cry. But imagine you're a 30-year-old male and you're a Gentile. You just heard the greatest news ever. Jesus is the Savior. He came to save you. And on your way out of the church service, after giving your life to Jesus, there's a couple men there that say, hey, you really want to be saved, young man? And you say, yes, sir, I do. Hey, you really want to be saved? You know it. All right, buddy, then line up right over here. Awkward, right? You can imagine the pushback. Hold up now. Is is this necessary? Do we... Do we really got to do this? Paul and Barnabas, they get word that this is happening and they say, wait a second, we, we have a problem here. We have a theological debate on our hands because you cannot have it both ways. Either you believe that we are saved by grace, that's the reason why Jesus came, or we're still saved by the law. It's not from the inside out, it's from the outside in. And in that case, Jesus coming, does it even help all that much? They said, we, we have a problem, we have to, Discuss this, because listen, if we believe that it was grace that saved us, it's going to be grace that sustains us as well, which brings me to my first point in the message this morning. If you're taking notes, I have two points. That's it. Number one is this. The grace that saved you is the grace that sustains you. The grace that saved you is the grace that sustains you. Again, in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, they they decide, hey, we we need to get everybody together. So they gather all the church leaders, they gather all the Pharisees, even the Jews that have been converted, they're bringing them in and they're saying, we got to talk about this thing. Paul and Barnabas are there and they begin to tell stories about the amazing things that God has done, about people are accepting Jesus into their heart. They're believing in the grace of God and their lives are being changed. But then some Pharisees stand up. Remember, cause Jews were still being converted. These Pharisees stand up and go, but if these people really wanna be saved, they have to do what we had to do. They must be circumcised. And if they want to grow in their relationship with God, they must obey the law. Let me tell you why I think God is so cool, man. Because out of all the people that he could have chose to be there that day, he chooses a guy like Paul to speak up. Many of you, you know, if you grew up in church that Paul's a man with quite the past, isn't he? He wasn't always the apostle Paul. At one time, actually, he was the Pharisee, Saul. He was a Christian killer. <laughs> what I love about this is who better to speak to a Pharisee than a former Pharisee? I love this so much because I feel like there's so many people in the world that we live in, we don't wanna talk about our past. We don't wanna talk about our failures. We wanna keep them hidden. We think that's the part that I'm ashamed of, so that's the part that God is ashamed of. We only want to show people the good side of us, but I'm so thankful that we serve a God who doesn't just use the good parts of us, but he actually uses our whole story. He uses our past, our present, and our future. The good, the bad, the ugly, and he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is the God we serve. He uses your whole story. He uses the whole thing. He has this way of taking the problems of your past and writing solutions to your future. Oh man, I love how awesome our God is. Then, I, then my favorite part of the story happens because after the Pharisees speak up, my favorite disciple, Peter, speaks up. I love Peter so much because Peter's a lot like me. Peter is jacked up, all right? Like one time they tried to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out a sword and chops a dude's ear off. Okay, I don't know about you, but I want a friend who's willing to cut somebody at any moment for me, right? <laughs> this is who Peter was. And listen to what he says here in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 10. Peter stands up now. They're all saying their side back and forth. They're going back and forth. And listen to what he says. Now then, speaking to these Pharisees, Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Why are you trying to make them do something that we didn't even like doing? Why are you trying to keep them, get them to keep the law that we couldn't keep? In verse 11, he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We believe it's through the grace of of our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. Here's what I think many of us knowing what we know now, being on the outside, looking at this scripture, we would say, if we were there that day, we'd be on the side of the disciples. We'd be on the side of Peter. We'd be on the side of the apostles, Paul and and Barnabas. We would say, you tell them, Peter, amen, brother. The truth is, I think, I think the Pharisees just got caught up in the same trap that you and I get caught up in all the time, because don't we do this? We know it's grace that saves us, but we get caught up in the trap of believing that it's following the rules that sustains us. It's, it's grace that saves me, but it's following the law that sustains me. Come on, you, you know this is true. I believe grace saved me, but my attendance sustains me. Grace saved me, but my appearance sustains me. Gotta look good for everybody. Grace saved me, but my achievements sustain me. I don't know if you've ever fallen into this trap. I know that I have. I just wanna encourage somebody this morning with this thought. Listen, the same power that transformed you initially is the same power that will transform you progressively as you grow. If it was grace that saved me, it's gonna be grace that sustains me. I don't need to worry about the Christian checklist. My name is written on the only list that matters. I don't need to worry about working my way up to God. Why? Because God made his way down to me. There's nothing I need to do to be complete. I'm complete in who Jesus says I am. If it was grace that saved me, It's going to be grace that sustains me. Oh, I hope and pray I never get so good at being Christian that I forget it was the goodness of Christ that made me one in the first place. Come on, I, I can do this though. I can get caught up in the trap. If you're new to this whole Christianity thing, if you're new to church, please hear me. Don't be fooled. You look around, you see all these church people who look like we have it all together. Trust me, we don't. We just serve a God who does. Amen? We do not have it all together. Look at me, I'm sweating like crazy up here. I don't have it all together. As the story continues, you'll see now Peter spoke, and then again, Paul and Barnabas, they go back to telling stories. In verse 12, this is what the Bible says. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. You start to see a little bit of a shift in the atmosphere take place. And he's using broken people like Paul and Peter. Love that. And when they finished, James, who was the leader of the church and also the brother of Jesus, spoke up and now he's gonna give his verdict about everybody's arguments. Brothers, he said, listen to me. He says some things. And just in conclusion, for the sake of time, we're going to skip down to verse 19. This is what it says. This is James. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. Number one, if grace saved you, it'll be grace that sustains you. And number two, of my message this morning is difficulty can deflate desire. He says, we shouldn't make it difficult. Why? Because this is why difficulty can deflate desire. You know, all the way up until the seventh grade, I'm telling you, I was fully convinced I was going to be an MBA superstar. Again, I don't know why that's funny. Um, I am a solid five foot nine, okay? I had no chance, ever. I, um, I remember that I wanted to be a famous basketball player so bad, man, all the way up really until the seventh grade. I was trying out for my middle school basketball team. We had two days of tryouts and I remember day one, I get out there and I'm scoping out my competition, right? I'm seeing these guys and they can shoot better than me. They can pass better than me. They can dribble better than me. They're all taller than me, you know? And already I start looking and I go, it's going to be difficult to make this team. This is going to be difficult. I had a desire going into the trial. I was so pumped up, but then quickly my desire became a little bit deflated. As I started comparing myself to them and thinking, I'm not good enough. I don't fit in with these guys. Then I started worrying about things that don't even matter. I was like looking at their shoes. This guy's wearing Air Jordans. I'm wearing Reebok, you know, like. This guy's got on a Shaquille O'Neal jersey. I got on a Christian t-shirt. It's two drumsticks in the shape of a cross and it says, stick with Jesus. (laughs) I was a church kid through and through people. (laughs) I start comparing myself to these guys and worrying about things that don't even matter. And if I'm honest, like I, I, I I barely made the team. But I can remember after day one, I come home and I laid out. I didn't go out into my backyard and work on my shot or my dribbling. I went straight to my closet to worry about what I was going to wear the next day. I remember I pulled out everything. My dad got home that afternoon. I had my whole outfit laid on the floor. I'm like, dad, okay, day two of tryouts tomorrow. What do you think? What should I wear? My dad looked at me. and He says, son, what, what does that matter? You wear whatever you want to wear. Day two came and went, and I found out, again, I I did make the team, but barely. I think I played a total of like five minutes all year long, okay? And to be honest, as as the year went on, I kinda just stopped trying. I continued to compare myself to these guys, and it just seemed like the level of difficulty was too much, so I quit trying. You may say, Ross, what, what are you getting at? I'm getting at this, that that may be okay for basketball. Life goes on, but this is not okay for us. I believe that there are people that actually have a desire to get to know the real Jesus. There are people that have a desire to be a part of this thing called the church, yet when they look upon us and they look upon this thing called the church, they see us, they see the way that we act, they see our projected perfection, which is not true. They see our masks that we put on and their idea is that's far too difficult. They start having questions and conversations about things that don't even matter. What do I wear? I don't know. It doesn't look like I belong with these people. And before long, I think they they don't even try. Very quickly, their desire becomes deflated because of the difficulty. There's a philosopher, G.K. Chesterton, who said this. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, It has been found difficult and left untried. What's he saying here? He's saying there are legitimately people out there that have a desire to get to know God. Yet the perception is that it's just far too difficult. You gotta be perfect, I guess, to be a Christian. You gotta have it all together. So it stops them from even trying. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be a part of something that makes it difficult for people to come to Jesus. I don't wanna be a part of something that makes it hard for people to get into heaven. You know, sometimes I feel like we make it harder to come to church than it is to get into heaven. I don't wanna be a part of this. I want to be able to be wise in the way that I act towards outsiders. I want my conversations to be full of grace, not for the sake of myself, but for the sake of other people. I wanna be able to tell people it's not difficult to come to church. It's not difficult to have a conversation with me even though you know I'm an outspoken Christian outside of the church. It's not difficult to get plugged in, to get involved. It's not difficult to invite your friends. Somewhere along the line though, we've made it really difficult. Guys, we have the best news ever to share, don't we? It's not bad news. It's not okay news. It is good news. But somewhere along the line, we've gotten it mixed up. You know what our job is supposed to be? Just report the news. Yet it seems like we as Christians, we just cannot get the news right. You may say, what are you talking about? I I promise you, if we asked a non-believer what it is that Christians stand for, They'd give us a long list of things that we are against rather than what we are for. I don't wanna make it difficult anymore. If you look back at Colossians chapter four again, listen what he says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Another translation of the Bible says, walk in wisdom. Commentator Warren Wiserby makes a, makes a comment about this verse. He says, what does it mean to walk in wisdom? For one thing, it means that we are careful not to say or do anything that would make it difficult to share the gospel. Not to say or do anything that would make it difficult to share the gospel, to share the news. That's what it means to walk in wisdom. This is what Paul is talking about in Colossians. His message has never, ever changed. And our message should not either. There's no reason to add to it. There's no reason to make it difficult. I'm gonna tell you a story about a conversation I had with a young lady a couple Friday nights ago. I was at a high school football game and I'm, I'm there on the sideline with the team and she was one of the cheerleaders at the school. I see this young lady and, and she had come to our youth ministry a couple months back and it had been a while since I had seen her. And in fact, I think she may have become that one time and I didn't see her after that. So I'll go over to her, I'm like, hey girl, how are you? No, it's so good to see you. I'll give her a high five, you know, and we're talking. And, Eventually, you know, I I just say, hey, you know, we really miss you. You know that you're welcome back anytime to youth. You can come anytime you want to. She began to unfold a story that happened to her and really the reason why she hasn't been back. She had gotten herself into some legal trouble. And I said, well, that's okay. I mean, you can come, you can still come back, you know? And she looked at me and she goes, no, no, Pastor Ross, I, I have, I have problems. I said, girl, I do too. (laughs) She said, no, but I've made these mistakes. I said, I promise I've made more. She goes, no, I I think if I went there, people would start to talk. I walked away from that conversation discouraged because I thought to myself, you know what? This is not, I'm not speaking just specifically on our church. I'm talking about the church. We have a PR problem. Something is wrong. If a simple church invite invokes response, number one, I got problems. Are we projecting this idea that we don't have problems? Listen, people will identify with your pain much more than they will your perfection. Perfection. If a simple church invite invokes response number two, no, I make mistakes. Do people think that we don't make mistakes? I don't know about you, but man, I'm supposed to be a professional Christian. (laughs) I'm a pastor, I'm on this stage right now and I made mistakes yesterday. I'm gonna make some today if I haven't already, probably have. And I'm gonna make even more tomorrow. The thing is, I need the grace of God. And here's what's so great about the grace of God. When I look at how difficult things may seem, when how difficult life is, when I see all the obstacles I gotta get through, I focus on the grace of God. And for me, it's not difficult. Even though I make mistakes, even though I've got problems, even though I've got a past, even though I've got issue, then there's the grace of God and everything becomes simple once again. Come on, is there anybody who is thankful for the grace of God? It's not difficult when you know him. It's not difficult. It's not difficult when you know him, so let's not make it difficult to show him. You may say, Ross, why are you making such a big deal of this? I'm making such a big deal of it because of my mom. My mom was a church kid, she grew up in the church. And at a very early age, she got pregnant, got married. And by the age of 22 was already divorced with a four-year-old son, my brother. And after the divorce, the way that people handled her situation in the church, the way that the church talked to her when even she was outside of the church because the church is not just the four walls, the church is the people. The way it was handled made her feel like she was a permanent outsider that could never get in. There was a season in my mom's life where it would be years before she would ever step foot back in a church until one day she had another son. That's me who became a pastor. And now my mom, whenever she wants to come and visit, she knows we work on the weekends, so we go to church. And she loves coming to church because she loves Jesus. She loves coming here to Crossroads. But it never fails because of what she's experienced in the past. My mom will call when she's preparing for a trip to come and visit. She's packing her bags. She'll call me up and she always has one question. Hey, honey, I know we're going to church. I'm just trying to figure out, what do I wear? My response is the same every time. Mom, what does that matter? You wear whatever you want to wear. And then the last time my mom came and visited us, she sat right here on the front row with me and my wife. And I watched during worship as my mom with the tear running down her cheek and Brie and Jeremy and Chris and the band leading us in worship, my mom, she slowly lifted her hand and she began to worship Jesus. And I found myself standing right beside her, crying, watching my mom, not simply because she was just worshiping, but because I had the thought And how long has it been since she felt like she could worship freely? I don't know about you, but I'm done making it difficult. I refuse to boil this thing down to just a bunch of rules. I refuse to play the church game anymore. And I believe that God deserves so much more from us than just a morally decent life we got to stop playing games because this isn't just about us. This is about other people as well. Let's not make it difficult for anyone. I'm gonna ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're here at the Newberg campus, whether you're watching at our West campus or online, just no one talking, no one looking around at this moment. I just want you to hear my voice. I believe it's possible there are two different groups of people here that can hear me. Maybe you're watching this and you feel like an outsider. The church thing has never really been your style, never been your scene. Or maybe every single time you come, you just can't quite plug in. You feel like an outsider. I would tell you this, keep coming back. Cause you belong here. If you're watching online, you belong here. Jesus came for you too. He died for you too. You don't have to have it all together, Jesus does. Or maybe you're here and you've been coming to church for a long time. You know how the Christian thing works. I include myself in this. You would say, I, I'm an insider. That's me. Can we agree we're going to stop putting obstacles in people's way? We're done making it difficult. I'm done trying to prove myself, trying to make myself look good, trying to make myself perfect for other people. I'm no longer going to make it difficult. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I thank you that you are now the way, the truth, and the life. And how you came to this world and you died for us. The Bible says that God sent his only son so that whosoever insider or outsider Jew or Gentile slave or free can find salvation can experience your grace that not only saves us but sustains us and then help us God to have the boldness to not make it difficult to see your kingdom expanded and know that we were a part of it God we love you We thank you for who you are and we thank you for what you've yet to do in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for stirring us up today. It's in Jesus' name, amen.